Dear friends, we are so excited to share this episode with Angelica Ross with you. But we recorded that episode in late May. And so before we dive in there, it feels important to to speak to right now a bit. Um, after the tragedy at Pulse, we've been feeling that things have changed irrevocably in ways that we don't yet understand. And we want to hugely acknowledge that this tragedy affected queer folks of color, largely Latinx queer folks of color. And therefore, we absolutely can't say that we are Orlando, but we absolutely are standing with Orlando and the victims of Orlando. We're grieving, we're livid, we're scared. We've also found that our queer communities, friends and families pulled together in some fucking beautiful ways to support one another in the moments and week after. And we want to create something that shows our intense sense of community, shows how we love at the same time as we mourn and rage. We'd be so honored if you would share with us a brief, like under a minute, voice recording of a message of love that you sent a queer person in the past week or so after Pulse or that somebody sent to you, with their permission, of course, or a sentence or two that you write now in a similar vein. We'll put all these together to create a few minutes of sounds of love in our community. And thank you all so very much. And um, please do uh, send us this. Uh, you can email us at hello at sexforsmartpeople.com. And um, I also want to share a poem, one that you may very well have heard already by Alexis Pauline Gums. Here's Alexis reading the poem. After that, there'll be a, a bit of silence for reflection and then abrupt shift of tone into this episode. Please take care of yourselves, dear listeners, and maybe a more upbeat episode isn't right for you at this moment, or maybe it totally is. So totally up to you. We're so glad and grateful to be in conversation with you. Here is Alexis and that poem. This poem is called Pulse, and it's for our loved ones in Orlando who we didn't get to meet. I was going to see you. I was going to dance in the same place with you someday. I was going to pretend not to notice how you and your friends smiled when you saw me and my partner trying to cumbia to bachata, but I was going to feel more free anyway because you were smiling and we were together and you had your stomach out and you felt beautiful in your sweat. I was going to smile when I walked by I was going to hug you the first time a friend of a friend introduced us. I was going to compliment your shoes instead of writing you a love poem. I was going to smile at you every time I saw you and struggle to remember your name. We were going to sing together. We were going to belt out Selena. I was going to mispronounce everything except for amor and ay, ay, ay. I was going to covet your confidence and your bracelet. I was going to be grateful for the sight of you. I was going to scream, yes, at nothing in particular, at everything especially, meaning you, meaning you beyond who I knew you to be. 
I was going to see you in hallways and be too shy to say hello. You were going to come to the workshop. You were going to sign up for the workshop and not come. You were going to translate the webinar even though my politics seemed out there. We were going to sign up for creating change the same day and be reluctant about it for completely different reasons. We were going to watch the keynotes and laugh at completely different times. I was going to hold your hand in a big activity about the intimacy of strangers, about the strangeness of needing prayer. We were going to get the same automated voice message when we complained that it was not what it should have been. We were going to be standing in the same line for various overpriced drinks during a shift change. I was going to breathe loudly so you would notice me. You were going to compliment my hair. It isn't fair because we were going to work to Beyonce and Rihanna and the Rihannas and Beyonce's to come and the Beyonce's and Rihanna's after that. We were going to not drink enough water and stay out later than our immune systems could handle. We were going to sit in traffic in each other's blind spots, listening to top 40 songs that trigger queer memories just outside the scope of marketing predictions. We were going to get old, and I was going to wonder about the hint of a tattoo I could see under your sleeve. I was going to blink and just miss the fought-for laughter lines around your liner-loved eyes. I was going to go out for my birthday, but I didn't, and you did. We were going to be elders just because we were still around, and I was going to listen to you on a panel we didn't feel qualified for and hear you talk about your guilt for still being alive when so many of your friends were taken by suicide, by AIDS, by racist police, and jealous ex-lovers, and poverty, and no access to health care, and how you had a stable job you suffered at until the weekend how you avoided the drama and only went to the club at Pride, and so here you were, with no one to dance with anymore. I was going to see you and forget you, and only remember you in my hips, and how my smile came easier than clenching my teeth eventually, and how I finally learned whatever it is I still haven't learned yet. I was going to hear you laugh and not know why and not care. Our ancestors fought for a future, and we were both going to be there until we weren't. And so I don't know if it would hurt more to lose you later after knowing you. I don't know if it would hurt more to know you died on your own day by your own hands or any of the other systems that stalk you and me and ours forever. I only know the pain that I am having and that you are not here to share it. You are not here to bear it. You were going to pass me a candle at the next vigil. But now, I am Pulse. And now, you are Flame. Our love is what we make of it. 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 Sex for smart people. That means you. Oh, hi. Hello. Welcome to Sex for Smart People. (laughs) I'm Ryan, and I use pronouns they, them, theirs. I'm Dave, and I use he, him, and his. And I'm Angelica Ross, and I use she, her, and hers, and Miss Ross. Hi, Miss Ross. (laughs) Miss Ross. We are stoked to have you. 
we usually ask, what is your relationship to relationships? Does that interest you to answer? <laughs> I love that question. When I saw that, I love that question. Oh, yeah, we have a question we start with. Yeah. <laughs> Angelica Ross, what is your relationship to relationships? So my relationship to relationships is pretty open, I would say. Um, I'm kind of that girl that's open to a relationship if it happens, um, but I'm also open to being completely single. Um, I love being single. Um, It wasn't always that way, but I definitely got to a place where I love being single. But, you know, I feel like a lot of people get into relationships for the wrong reasons. I think that mm, like 90 something percent of people are (laughs) in relationships for the wrong reasons. Um, So I'm not really interested in relationships in the traditional sense. Um, You know, when it comes to sex, when it comes to love, when it comes to a lot of those things, you know, I've, I've found so many men to be selfish, kind of, when it when it comes there. I'm not saying that all men are, mm-hmm. and but I'm saying people in general, actually, tend to be selfish in the sense of um, what makes them feel good mm-hmm. um, as a person, um, no matter what the cost is to the other person. You know, mm-hmm. I want you to behave this way. I want you to be this type of person. I want you to do these type of things. It's about me, 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 instead of having a relationship you find with someone where it's about um, discovery and it's about a prolonged uh, period of discovery Mm. of of each other and what makes each other tick. That's so gorgeous. Uh, If you feel comfortable sharing, like what's been your journey to embodying that philosophy? Yeah. uh, You know, I, I, as a, specifically as a trans person, um, I immediately had a wake up call when I first had my first big crush on this Italian guy. And, um, and he was just gorgeous and, uh, he thought I was gorgeous and he was just the type of guy that I, you know, saw myself with. I was 19, I think, at this time, or, you know, it was definitely pretty young. And um, I had to come across this point where I had to disclose to him that I was trans. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that didn't that didn't end well in the sense that he um, he couldn't deal with that. Um, He was like, you know, as beautiful as you are, that's just not, you know, that's I just can't deal with that. And so it put me into a place of. You know, I, I was always, I was confused about what my life would be, what my dating life would be going forward, uh, because I knew that I would always attract the type of men that I was attracted to, but I would still then have to go this through this additional mm-hmm. uh, sort of layer of of um, of um, disclosure. And what I realized is when you when you're used to even being marginalized in love, I would say, and in relationships you start to put yourself into a position where you, you almost would accept anything. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think right. that I got to a place where life put me into a tricky relationship to ask me that question. Like, mm-hmm. um, are you wanting to be in a relationship just for the safety of that? Or do you realize what kind of love you can experience and that you should be experiencing within a relationship and that that too 
is available to you. Even though you're trans, even though you're, you know, whatever, you too will find someone and can find someone to love you specifically for who you are. Mm -hmm. So I had to go through periods of even being with guys who seem to be the dream boat, but because they didn't value me in certain ways, um, mm -hmm. I had to ask myself the question of, did I deserve more as a trans person that wants a relationship? Um, what am I willing? What is my 80, 20, you know, what am, what am I willing to sort of put up with if I can't get a hundred percent, you know, what are the things that I will settle for? Um, and recognizing that there's certain things that, um, come down to just, mm -hmm being affirmed as the woman that I am both physically and spiritually and mentally, those are things I can't, um, settle on. So that, that brought me to that place of understanding that it's also a place of, it's a really hard place in this world with women, um, being, uh, so controlled, um, you know, with society trying to control our sexuality where, you know, I, I want, there's this respectability politics of wanting to be married and wanting to have this sort of thing. And so while I'm single to try to keep myself pure and purified, um, but at the same time, this sense of as a businesswoman who has started her own company, who has sacrificed so much time and energy and money to build what I'm building, um, sometimes I see myself in the same lane as like these corporate men and professional men, where it's like, maybe I, one, I don't have time for a relationship and should I, I should be sex positive and feel comfortable as an adult having a se sex with whoever I want to, as long as I feel in control and empowered by that experience and not feel, um, take like I taken advantage of like mm. you know and I think so many times it's really easy especially for trans folks um and so many other women have the same experience of feeling like you know what's the difference between being sex positive and being in you know a relationship like a friends with benefits sort of situation where I know many women like myself find us like we're like well there's no benefit to me <laughs> like mm. You know, the only benefit is to the guy who's like, yeah, let's have fun. Mm. Let's have sex or whatever. And like, I've got a good, to be real, I got a gazillion guys at my inbox and email and <laughs> everything that, you know, are, are trying to get at the cookie jar, you know? <laughs> and um, so I'm not pressed up for that. You know, mm. what I am pressed up for is a guy who wants to just spend time with me and just get to know mm. me and not be sexual and take a hike and play tennis and do those sorts of things. So mm. for me, until a guy shows certain things, um, I just kind of like assess things for what they are. And if it's a relationship that's on the rise, um, great. If it's not, and he's just one hot experience, that can be great too. You know, mm. depends on what mood I'm in. Mm. Thank you for that story. and. Um, I have such a complex relationship with the term sex positive because I don't think it was intended to mean this, but I think it often is understood as like all the sex all the time is definitely better. And um, I actually prefer the term sexuality right. from a place of wholeness, which, you know, which to me is just anything you do, but without shame, whether whether you rock ethical sluttery and that's Absolutely. your thing or or whether um you're not that into sex or not that into sex until lots of hiking and playing tennis first <laughs> and and humans seeing each other as whole humans and i i'm so excited 
about the articulation that you gave of that with your story. And I'm so excited to be hopefully in our culture moving toward an understanding of that possibility. I think we, I think we totally are. I think, I think we're getting to a place where, you know, there's a saying, the truth needs no defense. And it it starts to get to this place where people are just going to be and do who they are, be who they are. And I think we're going to see a stark difference between the times of repression and expression where we're seeing like through politicians, uh, religious figures, you know, uh, there are many um, also like there are other spiritual teachings that talk about sort of the erroneous perspective of denying the body historically to get somewhere to get to this higher more morale place but we have this body this is the tool that we have so it is only through this body that i am going to experience anything Mm. so i I, so it's i think we're going to get to a place where it's going to be so obvious that the unhealthy place to be is repression Mm. is where when i ask you a question you get uptight Instead of being able to answer it in a, from a whole place of saying yes, no, or anything in between. Mm-hmm. But when I notice that there's a different energy about it that you're not comfortable with, you mm-hmm. know, then um, you you might need to do some work. And you can either pay a therapist and sit on her couch for a while and do that. Or you can, you know, just explore, you know, ask yourself the right questions. Your optimism gives me hope, honestly. Uh, yeah. I think that sometimes I can get so caught up in... Because 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 th- th- things aren't great right now. Um, I think just I think that just generally applies. Things aren't great, and so I can get so caught up in the day to day badness or lack of wholeness in the way that we talk about our bodies, sex, and the patriarchy continuing to fuck everyone in anti trans movements, uh, um, homophobic movements. That I can that I, it's sometimes hard for me to think that things will will. We, that we will get to a better place. Well, you know, it's just like seeing those movies like uh, uh, The Terminator or what was it? Uh, um, you know, any of those movies that sort of The Matrix or any of those movies that sort of give us a glimpse mm-hmm. of what we had, some of us collectively envision as a future. Mm-hmm. You know, what is it going to be in 2000 something? You know, when we're when we're... <laughs> flying around in the sky and doing all these different things. Um, And when we see these depictions, we see folks with crazy looking outfits and hair, red hair and spiky this and um, big shoes. And, you know, you just see uh, this, this world. But I feel like those folks who are the executives um, at a lot of these studios, folks who are in positions of power and politicians who are making policies, they don't really know how we get from point A where we are to that futuristic world that right. we imagine in sci-fi worlds with people with blue hair that are doctors <laughs> and, you know, that kind of place where we're, we're totally in a different space of expression. Mm-hmm. I, I I think that queer movements are, are kind of like at the forefront of, um, and I don't identify as queer, you know, and, and I'm glad that folks have picked up that word and, and have... And have been power because some people still, especially of the older generation, are like, "Oh, that word!" Mm-hmm. You know, they still don't, they think it's a bad word, you know. Um, but I think the queerness 
um, and and the queering of America is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and because what people get to do is then decide for themselves. You know, it, I I can say something or come up with a word, but it means nothing to me until I know the meaning for myself in a real way. So it's this kind of way of when you come up with a term or come up, oh, those trans people are this. And then I look at this person and I'm attracted to them. In that moment, I don't need a label to this. Now, what does this mean? I'm gay. I'm straight. I'm this. I'm mm-hmm. that. It now means, oh, I'm open to the unfolding of what where our world is going. This is the next mm. level. This is the next wave when we're not just our bodies, when we are now in experiences. Mm. It's like, oh, now and I get with this person because mm. of the experience of being with this person. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I th- the way I think about this a lot is that um, how do we, or I think sometimes we think that or it can be thought that holding the fucked up truth of now um, and and the bad stuff and and also honoring the the complexity of all kinds of systemic oppression, that sometimes if we turn that up, then we have to turn your dial back um, in vi- remembering that we're allowed to think about alternatives or live out alternatives and imagine possibility and think about the, and move toward the world that we would like to inhabit. And I just, I'm trying to learn for myself more and more on a daily basis, how to think of those things, not as a zero sum game, but like how to, how to full out holds, um, and honor the, the, the bits of fucked up truth of now, and also full out holds, our even responsibility to to think in those directions. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't okay. say enough how like spirituality and spiritual practice is just like is everything. Um, you know, I'm I'm quite disheartened by um, you know it's not. I feel the biggest failure in America. It is not the education system, well, but the spiritual education system. I think that it is the the reason why we have so much sexual repression and uh, sort of just um, conflicts of identity and conflict of things is because you know religion and a lot of things keep trying to shove so many of us into a box that we just don't feel like we fit into. So just imagine if we had spiritual grounding in sexuality, mm. you know, spiritual grounding in identity. Mm. What it, what would that look like? What might it look like? We have to move on from the interview <laughs> part soon, but I, I will you say more? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I'm just saying that I'm hoping to be a part of actually that wave um, of a new spirituality because we have yet to see um, our country is yet to see uh, trans people in spiritual leadership mm-hmm. and I, and what that actually does. Um, mm-hmm. They have no idea. They have no idea yet um, to understand that I'm not trying to tell anyone to be trans or to be this or be that. What I'm trying to tell everyone is that we've been taught that God is within everything and with every and within every person. So what I'm teaching you is a lesson in co-creation of your life. I have taken the divine responsibility um, and opportunity to co-create my life. I 
have the power because it's been invested in me in the same way that you have the power to create your life. But you can either do that intentionally or you can do that in ways that you're unconsciously participating with a collective that is working against you. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> you know? I will go to the Church of Angelica Ross. Um, <laughs> if uh, uh, And for those that want to learn more about you and, and all that you do, we didn't even get to talk about her story, but I gave a big shout out about it on our last episode, actually. Um, oh, I love it. But uh, where is the best place to find more info about you and to connect with you and your work? MissRoss.com, just mm. M-I-S-S-R-O-S-S.com. Excellent. I try to keep uh, all things there. So you can pretty much get connected probably to the work that I do with TransTech. You know, advertisements will lead you over there. But you can also find out about TransTech at TransTechSocial.org. Um, but if you just Google Miss Ross or Angelica Ross, you know, a bunch of stuff will come up. <laughs> Twitter, I tell you the best, the fun times are on Twitter and Instagram, especially after dark. But um <laughs> You know, you, you can definitely keep up on Twitter, Instagram, and uh, MissRoss.com. Beautiful. The fun times are on Twitter after dark is a good tagline. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Miss Ross after dark. Okay, on to listener questions. Uh, we are doing three today. Whoa. Including a crowdsource question. Yeah. So, uh, question uh, one. Uh, <laughs> people, uh, <laughs> Laser noises we like to do. (laughs) I'm a gay transgender man who often passes, i.e. people assume that I am cisgender. And I'm wondering if I have an ethical obligation to be out to people who I might have a sort of sex with where my chest and genitals aren't involved, i.e. the sex is limited to me going down on a cis man. I'm particularly talking about fairly anonymous encounters where the communication is predominantly or exclusively limited to getting and giving consent. I can see it a few ways. On one hand, the person I would be having sex with would very probably be assuming that they were having sex with a man, which would be an accurate assumption, and maybe that's that. On another hand, many folks don't have any sort of experience with trans people and would also be assuming that I have a penis. Usually this sort of erroneous assumption is whatever, but my instinct is when sex is involved, someone's consent should be given with an awareness of my body. On another hand, my genitals wouldn't be involved in this sort of sex at all, so does the other person really have a right to know? Of course, all sides of this come with safety risks, but for me, at least, that's a separate part of the question, one that I'll add in later. The obvious solution would be me not having anonymous sex or staying exclusively in notably aware queer spaces, but both of those options feel limiting to me, and I'm trying to avoid my transness limiting my sexual options. Wow. Well, the first thought I came to mind was, is let, unless he has a cock at the back of his throat then, you know, I don't think that he has to disclose at all. Uh, You know, disclosure, I have learned, this is something I've had to learn over time, but disclosure is mine. And it is mine to choose when, where, and with whom uh, to disclose that too. And and to be really particular about that, I think um, I've also been seeing a lot of things online too lately, which I think have been great. Um, Talking around uh, teaching consent and teaching consent at a very young age. And so I think what we're looking at is there's the long game of consent and sometimes there's a short game of consent. And so like when you're talking about the type of situation he's talking about of like kind of a hookup situation, then I think the consent happens moment by moment. And it happens in the sense of, okay, are we okay with oral sex? And we're consenting around that and everything is 
all green and good to go. My mouth works, your body part works, that all works, you know, that kind of situation. Um, if it were to progress past that and maybe um, um, they want to now have some sort of intercourse, this is where I think we get into uh, the nuances around like how we think in like sort of rape culture and that once someone's in the room and are already doing some things that now they have to, if it comes up, have sex when that's not maybe what I'm here for. Maybe I didn't prepare for that. Maybe my body's mm-hmm. not ready for that. You know, all kind of stuff. So it has maybe to be. Maybe I'd rather play tennis or go for a hike. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so like it's got to be consent for that next level. And I think that that's when if, you know, at that moment they want to either disclose or say, nah, I'm not into that right now. Let's just stay here. Mm-hmm. But I think that that is completely up to them and totally fine for them to um decide which works either either decision works for me you know but but sort of asking a question around that um i think angelica that you're right that uh, i i would agree that and that it, it doesn't seem to me necessarily that like you would have to or feel an obligation to disclose what your genitals are if your genitals aren't coming into the situation mm-hmm. um but ryan as you're talking about this uh, this uh, moving toward a world that is open to to transness um, more open to transness. The world uh, is open. So, so more open, more open to transness. Yes. Um, uh, is there any sort of like? Is the response it, it would, would would being upfront about that help push the world that way? Because now, because now this person would know that I have I have had sex with it with with the person with a trans person, um, and does that at all change the? the calculation of disclosure. Um, maybe, but I think that mostly if it does, it's in the sense of they're coming back. Meaning like, uh, you know, I don't need to disclose until it comes to a point where there's someone's wanting a deeper engagement, wanting to, you know, even Mm -hmm. understand why that was so special or beautiful or, or not. Um, you know, it is because we're not in a world yet that understands trans people mm-hmm. um, and doesn't stop othering us. Um, I think that as I see in the in the story in in her story when I'm acting in the show and pages on her. Date oh my god! With everybody, James, go and watch her and story right now. The whole season is only an hour, and it is. <laughs> basically my favorite thing. <laughs> I imagine that you might love it too. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's awesome. We've been having such a great response. We're showing at the LA Film Festival uh, next month, which is awesome. That's rad. Uh, just a lot of great uh, stuff. But it, you know, what's it touched on was this, uh, this idea of disclosure. And, you know, she's at dinner with this amazing guy and he's so handsome. He's at these temples and you know, all the girls, soon you see him when he comes on the screen and you're just like, oh, he's just a dreamboat. And sometimes you just want to be a human being and you just want to experience mm-hmm. being on a date. And, you know, again, when it's outside of sex, sometimes too, it's sometimes the foreplay, you know, and sometimes the the just whether it's opening a door or whether it's uh, pulling out a chair or whether it's the conversation over dinner. Um, all of the things that lead up to getting to know someone 
and letting your guard down to say, maybe I can mm. trust this person with this information. So I think that it all depends on what you're trying to get out the situation. Mm-hmm. If you want to just be down, like, here's the thing. If you want to just be down for sex and want to do a hookup and just do this thing and the other person is on the same page, then by mm-hmm. all means necessary, you know, but I, I'm just in, in the, the trickery. I'm just not down with on either side. And that's for me. When it comes to a lot of cis men, I feel like a lot of cis men play dreamboat. They play this kind of guy, this figure, so they can get sleep with the girl soon, you know, to sleep with the girl instead of being real that they just want to be upfront and they just want to hook up. Okay, I hear you. There are a a lot of girls out there who are on the same page as you, but I might not be. So don't trick me into a situation that I feel like is a lack of disclosure, you know, uh, more than anything else. But if their vibe is on the same page and it's all about sex uh, and the mouth, those the, the necessary requirements are all in place or whatever, then by all means do it. Cheers. Right. Okay. Shall we move on to question two? All right. I shall read this one. Question two, which is a Dave crowdsource Crowdsource question. question. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What's a crowdsource question? This is a question that we put out um, and posed uh, to collect answers from our listeners about what they think about it. So that we're sort of trying to get a, a, a number of different voices about it in the room. So we get a, some different perspectives along with our own. I think that's great. Yeah, right. yeah and I always say our listeners are the sexiest. Um, I'm going to read. Uh, I'm going to read the question, and then we're going to read four listener responses. We received so many wonderful responses, and just uh, just just so powerful to hear all of your different perspectives. Thank you to everybody who wrote in, and we're going to read four uh, on this episode. Um, the question is: Do you know of any resources for overcoming jealousy? My wife and I both want an open relationship. In theory, everything is peachy, but the green-eyed monster has got quite a hold on me, and I'm thinking that maybe I'm just not cut out for this. I don't know if I'll ever be able to handle it. And so response number one is, Hi there. My best advice for the listener interested in being open but worried about the green-eyed monster. Let go of the myth that being open means you don't feel jealousy. Jealousy is a human emotion. Being open doesn't erase it. It just changes the way you handle it. I've been open for over 10 years and still get jealous every time one of my partners starts seeing a new person sexually or romantically. I handle my jealousy by asking my partners to increase the amount of times they tell me they love me to reassure me that I'm an important part of their lives, at least for the first few weeks of the new relationship. To your listener, figure out what they need in order to feel safe and loved within a relationship. Advocate for those things with their partner. Remember that other people do not tangibly feel their emotions. They need to speak them aloud so other people can help. If you need non if you need monogamous exclusivity to feel safe and loved, that is okay. Communication in any relationship is key. Best of luck. That's a good answer. That is a good yeah. answer. Dave, will you read response number two? I would have given. I trust you <laughs> yeah. that. I would have you in another Our place, listeners child. are the ahead. sexiest. Our listeners response are the sexiest. Response number two. I've been in various forms of open relationships for years, and for the last five years, I've been in the easiest, most committed, most wonderful partnership yet. We both have significant other loves, and what's wild is we just really don't get jealous at all. We just feel great and solid in our connection and celebrate the joy each other gets from other connections. 
I didn't know that this was possible, and I don't want to frame this in a way that shames anybody if they feel jealousy. But what was especially powerful and liberating for me was to realize that it is possible to not feel jealousy. And that's what I'd like to offer this person who asked the question. You're allowed to consider the possibility that you don't have to feel jealousy. Yeah, you know, um, I'm still working on this area, you know, so I may not be as progressive um, in the areas of like open relationships. Um, I I believe they, you know, I know friends who are polyamorous. Um, I... uh, I know folks who are open with the relationship and that's fine. Um, for me, I'm still, um, what rubs me the wrong way with this question and sort of just, I still feel like I, I identify some of these men in our society where a lot of that is their idea, even when they are saying that it's sort of both of our ideas, you know? I mean, he's writing in, he's talking about his jealousy. To be um, fair, we don't know the gender of the person who wrote in. Oh, I thought, it, oh, sorry. I thought they that said was their a, wife, but we don't I, know. Why am I assuming it's a man? Oh my. Yeah, they, they oh, mentioned yeah, they their said, wife, but we don't know their gender. That Yes, yes, that's why. Okay, yes. So we don't know their gender and that, and that, and that's that. But like, I just um, feel like I've seen and I could and again, I'm always open to, you know, the fact that my perspective is even limited in these areas. But um, I believe in this all around sexuality and openness that can happen and can be there with that. But I think the way that our society is ran, I feel so many times and I felt this as a single woman that I'm trying to keep up with the man's fantasies or with the man's desires and what you know, he wants. And so if you want to keep up with that, it's like, okay, sure, I'll try this. Or, you know, I'm, I'm open to this thing. And then it's being kind of couched in that it's both of our ideas or we're both, you know, kind of in with it, but one of us is a little bit more into it than the other, you know? And so I'm just really, really mindful of that space that I know that I feel like so many women have been in uh, and thinking of how to keep their men um, and and kind of like to spice things up or doing those sort of things. So I'm just kind of leery sometimes when I see that that's introduced into it versus folks who go into it with that sort of perspective that they have already, this is what they want is something open. I think it's, um, right. I think it's good to be cognizant of the of the possibility for pressure arising there of any sort of pressure happening in a relationship to, uh, to that way um it, it, that 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 hasn't matched my personal experience with finding open relationships um but that's just my you know again, my experience is also limited my perspective on this is also limited and... before we get too deep i would love to dig in but we have two more responses from listeners to layer in actually <laughs> okay <laughs> and okay. then i would okay. love to also pick back right up here yeah. Okay. Uh, so response number three is very short. This must have hit a, a hot spot. That's why. Yes. It is uh, check out Reed Mahalko's Taming the Eight-Armed Octopus of Jealousy. And okay. Dave, will you read response uh, number four? Absolutely. Um, when jealousy first hit me, I was floored by the ferocity of it. Uh, I was the one who brought polyamory to my marriage, and I had already had another partner by the time my husband brought a relationship to me that he was curious about. It felt to me like he had so little jealousy that when mine came up with such viciousness, I was somehow surprised. And I felt horrible because I wanted to be a good and psyched partner. So suddenly, in addition to the jealousy, I also had a litany of self-criticisms around it, that somehow this feeling meant that I was a selfish partner and that I had failed myself, my husband, 
and some abstract vision of the ideal poly partner. I also had to say no to the relationship that my husband wanted up front. There were lots of particulars that made the situation hard, but when it came down to it, I lost confidence in my own ability to feel okay in my relationship because the jealousy was so loud. I needed to feel stronger and more grounded in my primary partnership before I could open. When I was able to voice that to my husband, we started to explore what was making me feel scared and what he could do to help remind me of our strength together. Sometimes when I was jealous, I needed him to just hold me and remind me that he loved me, even with a mountain of difficult feelings. In learning how to put voice to some of my scarier fears and to speak them out loud to my husband, they have slowly, slowly become less monstrous and more manageable. The best ways that i found to work with the ferocity of it are to play with the two camps of distraction from the feeling and trying to develop some curiosity toward it. When I was totally in the grips of jealousy, sometimes all I could do was put on Netflix and have a beer. And that helped, because the feeling changed. I would not be blind and say that it easily went away, but it at least reminded me that even jealousy isn't a permanent state. Eight months later, after a lot of meditation and therapy and some couples work, thanks, Stephanie. Thanks, Stephanie. Brian. Um, I was able to at least allow my husband and his potential partner to start exploring what they might want together. It still didn't feel good because jealousy is still powerful for me, but it got quieter and my willingness to feel it grew. And my aspiration to keep working with jealousy has grown because I want to be less afraid and I want to be more open. I know it won't be an easy befriending, but it is worth it to help give my dear husband the chance to love more and be loved. Want to dive back in? <laughs> I mean, Thank this is, this is like I said, I think this this is all kind of still new territory for me. Um, however, I can say that I feel like what is the remedy here um, for me in Buddhist practice is sort of the practice of non-attachment. And just, you know, when you have your partners of, of learning to love in a, in a non-attached and open sort of way, and feeling very um, blessed and grateful for the time that you spend with that person um, and not feeling ownership over that person or obligations around their love um, and things like that. So I think the more, you know, in dealing with jealousy like that, because I, I just think to myself, if I was in a certain relationship, if I was in an open relationship, like, I mean, I could throw down. <laughs> like... I'm just saying the dudes that be at me on a regular basis, I think would crush a man's self-esteem because like, you know, <laughs> like they're just, and so that, you know, I just don't see how that could work because I mean, unless he was, uh, yeah, I just, I, 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 it's still unfathomable for me, but I do know that, I've seen once power dynamics also change uh, with men and women, especially around uh, employment and, you know, earning women earning, being able to earn the same amount of money that a man earns on the job, um, even to the points of, I think, like legalizing sex work and, 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 and you know, rectifying that sort of power dynamic there. Um, when we are in a more equal playing field, I think around, uh, women being able to make decisions around their bodies, being able to have sex the way they want to without the connotations or whatever, like the true place of being there. Um, I just don't see, I see a disadvantage in these open relationships in a world that is, is in still under patriarchy and misogyny and what have you. Like this all sounds great and ideal if we can all get to this other place, but in this environment, it just seems very tricky to succeed in that um, space. Is that true even in uh, in same-sex relationships? Um, as far as... Oh. 
like is it is it tricky if it's if it's two men or two women or two people who are not on the binary like or is it just is this problem more evident to you in um, heterosexual binary I feel like it's sometimes more evident in that but um it absolutely shows up in uh, gay and lesbian relationships especially those who are trying to be more cis normative so I guess you know it kind of when you're trying to play into these roles of you know um, and these roles of dependency um, that end up happening over time, I think that it could definitely happen in same-sex relationships. And what you're saying, and I'm so grateful for bringing the perspective, that ties back to me in two things that we've said before. One, like we were talking about sex positive, that, that you know, sex positive came about as an as a way of naming that our culture is sex negative, meaning it shames any sexual <laughs> right, expression. Right. And so then let's use sex positive as a liberating term to say we don't have to feel shame for being sexual, the sexual beings that we are and that our sexuality is just a part of the whole people that we are. So it came from that beautiful place of wholeness and, and liberation. But as you were saying before, I think the term sex positive often feels can feel really oppressive or like pressure to like, oh, if I'm sex positive, then I should want to have all these casual hookups, even if I don't. And it's so sad right. to me that this term that that comes from a great place and should be liberating, then uh, takes on this this sort of other meaning from common usage in, in culture. And I actually think like I, I consider myself a relationship anarchist, meaning that I just love um, that we get to create our own vocabulary in every connection, whether that involves monogamy or not, or whether that, um, but the, the, the idea of polyamory and open relationships, I'm so excited that they're being talked about more. I think that, that when, that, that there are a lot of ways that, that, monogamy and marriage as a default, not monogamy and marriage as a choice, but monogamy and marriage as a default are linked to patriarchy in, in all of the ugly ways. Um, and so taught, you know, this more widespread conversation about openness, I do think is a really positive thing. But then as you're saying, Angelica, I think then often the, it, there can be this pressure of like, oh, if I'm not oriented that way, then there's something wrong with me or, and I do think that it often gets talked about without the binary gender dynamic that does come up a lot as, as you brought up of, of sometimes, uh, men wanting it more than women. That's not always true, but I think that there, there is a layer of that that's true. And so, oh, um, I think the other thing that this, this, harkens to that we spoke of before is how to hold the world as it is and the world that we'd like to see what you were what you led with after the fourth response of how can you know non-attachment and not obligation and just being present in love that's absolutely the world that i would like to see in all connections that we have and then i think speaking to the world as it is is but let's acknowledge the the patriarchal and oppressive dynamics that sometimes still come into the reaching toward that or the, the, well, the imperfect well, we still ways think in which that feminism reaching. is a dirty word. You know, we still Gosh. think feminism is a dirty word. Yeah. So like men, uh, a lot of men don't have access to a language that can free them up from that too, you know? Yeah. Yep, yep. And I, I want to layer in one more utopian perspective before <laughs> yielding the floor. Thank you for bearing with my verbosity. Um, that like, I think of relationship orientation like sexual orientation. And I just want to give this, this person who wrote in like permission to like be all of who they are within this in that like sexual orientation. Like I think 
it used to often be thought that like, oh, it's straight or gay, or then it's like, oh, or maybe you're somewhere on this linear spectrum in between. But that I think about sexual orientation as like straight and gay are like two points in this vast, gorgeous 3D web slash galaxy with axes spreading out in every direction. And we and we can be in a, one place and then move to a different place or not, or we can and um and we can be anywhere on and any of these axes. I think it's the same with gender. I think it's the same with relationship orientation that a lot of people think about it. It's like, oh, I'm either monogamous or non-monogamous. But I think that like there are just so many varieties of who and how we can be with each other that like this person who wrote in maybe can own that like the question of like, am I oriented toward non-monogamy or not? You know, yeah, I, I, I mean... I have typically and historically in my life uh, considered myself to be a straight woman. Um, and I believe that I even like cut it off with this one guy because he was too queer for me. <laughs> um, and like it was just a situation where I identified as straight and he identified as queer. Mm-hmm. And so that identification as me looking for my, I guess, straight partner and having even though they're a guy, you know, having them show up queer was a little bit too much for me at the time. Um, But, you know, I have to say um, and admit on this show that, like, you know, when it comes to sexual orientation, my stuff is is just in the air right now because I just don't know. And I I, I mean, Mm. like, I've been trying to grasp at the term demisexual, which Mm. I think is closer to what because I get excited off of emotional connection and that's what makes me want to have sex is when I have this connection with someone, not necessarily in sort of a hookup type way, but then it feels like it just, there's these ways where even I start, like I've been starting to get hit on a little bit. Not only do I get hit on by women, which is awesome. And I'm, I'm never, you know, I've never, well, I shouldn't say never, but I have, I, um, I have, don't, have experiences with women um sexually uh but i'm starting to get hit on a lot by like gay men and it has thrown me off because of what i expect and know and think that you know again a gay man is attracted to men and masculinity so i feel offended you know first off Mm -hmm. when a gay man is is attracted to me as a trans woman because i'm like are they picking up on something you know masculine or this that Mm -hmm. and the other whereas I'm opening up my brain even to the space of like, what would it be like that I could be sexually free with a man who is sexually free, you know, mm-hmm. and, and who also exhibits the masculinity that I like, you know, but still has mm-hmm. a flexibility that might, you know, introduce me to something else. I don't know. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of like, I think, um, like, so I kind of find myself, I feel like fantasizing sometimes about uh, a sexual, not just a sexual, but like a, a relationship with a uh, with maybe a bi or gay identified male that I'm thinking like, I want to be a part of a power couple. You know, I want to be, think <laughs> about like, you know, and then we could just do and have whatever we want and, you know, like, and still have the, bind, still have this like binary Feel because I think that's what people want sometimes too, and and I think it's not necessarily. I think it's always sometimes looked at as a bad thing where uh, people want this cis normative of female and male type of thing. But I think that even in queer cultures, people get this thing where they're a little more butch or they're more feminine or whatever the case is, 
And like when they are together, like I find even when I'm hanging out with some of my very masculine gay men, male friends, like I'm the perfect candy on their arm because it complements their masculinity and, and they complement my femininity in a way that just feels good. And it doesn't have to mean something and it can mean something all at the same time, you know? Mm. It doesn't have to and it can is another good short That's, end. For- you know, it can, yeah. I like mm. that. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, so much richness right here. I want to return before we move on to the next question. I just want to return right back to this person who wrote in just to honor like what they directly asked, which is they say, my wife and I both want an open relationship. Mm-hmm. Do you know any resources for overcoming jealousy? Um, Dave, anything you want to throw in in direct response to that? Um, uh, well, yeah, I think, I think, uh, the response about looking at Reed Mahalko's bit about taming the eight-armed, um, octopus is a good one. And also, um, I agree with so much of what was said about, like, um, uh, start by feeling it fully. Start by feeling the fullness of the jealousy and investigating it then. And that can be with yourself, that can be sitting with your therapist, that can be with your partner. Um, don't don't necessarily reject it out of hand. See, do some digging and see what's in there. I'd say go to Jesus. Uh. <laughs> no, I, 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 <laughs> what? I, I, yes, take it to Jesus is what I would say. No, but seriously, I, the reason why I say that, and I'd say that in a joking way, but a half joking way, and, and to say that I believe that jealousy, um, you know, can be dealt with in a spiritual way. And, and again, and not in a way that is spiritually confining to say, dogmatically speaking, you shouldn't be doing this. It's more so saying, what is this jealousy saying and processing that a way that is about you and is about your energy. And it's not about the other person. It's not that this other person's making me jealous is that I am experiencing Mm, jealousy and having this more of a spiritual spotlight on that. And, you know, again, when people understand spirituality and what that really is outside the context of those things is really um, a practice in energy in spiritual energy. Mm-hmm. So here's this jealous energy that's coming up. How do I deal with that spirit of jealousy, but with a spiritual outlook on that? And I'm th- I, I so agree with that. It's like jealousy for like, what can I learn from this? And what, mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. need do I have that might not be getting met that I can maybe meet for myself or ask my partner to meet. Absolutely. But as what both of you guys are saying makes me think about how jealousy exists Within monogamous relationships, sure. <laughs> jealousy is not sure. just about open relationships and how much like uh, just how much I want to just like shout from the rooftops about open communication and understanding mm-hmm. your jealousy when it comes up more and and being on the same page about what does cheating mean? What does faithfulness mean? Is it cheating to think about someone else when I masturbate? Right. Is it cheating Good to job. wink at someone <laughs> on the street? Is it cheating to right. is it cheating to have a have a long in-depth like three hour conversation at a cocktail party in a corner with somebody, but not touch them. Like what is like all of those things can be jealousy inducing, not just open relationship. And so, so cool listener that you're asking this question and, um, and wanting to, uh, to honor that this is a place that you and your wife want to move into and explore. And also I think just in summation permission to, decide that open relationship isn't for you. Any other closing thoughts on this question before we move on? I just feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't recommend opening up by Tristan Termino. It's fucking awesome. Anything else before we move <laughs> no, on? No, it's good closer. 
Oh, hi. It's me, Dave, from Sex or Smart People, that podcast you're listening to just now. Uh, this podcast, which you're listening to right now, is a labor of love, and it is something we deeply believe in. Um, but it's also something that uh, we are paying for out of pocket, uh, to the tune of about 150 bucks per episode, to host our website and pay our audio engineer. Um, in order to sustain this, uh, if you like what you're hearing, and you have a buck or two or five or 37 to kick in per episode, I cannot tell you how appreciative we'd be. Um, our core content, this p- podcast, is now, and it always is going to be free, but um, Patreon, which is uh, we partnered with, allows our community and our listeners to make small ongoing contributions to help fund the show on a voluntary per-episode basis. So if you dig what we're doing, and you do have that buck or two per episode, um, if you'd consider contributing per episode, we would super appreciate it. And if enough people in our community did this, it would just make a huge impact uh, on the possibility of this podcast continuing to go. Um, we do... Uh, as always, offer you an invisible, non-existent tote bag for any contribution that you make. We absolutely love doing this show, and uh, it's changed our lives for the better, for sure. And it keeps us honest uh, with each other and with everyone in these conversations that we care so deeply about. And um, we hope that it's been good for you, too. And if it has been, and you have a little bit of cash to spare, and we know times are tough, but if you have it, my goodness, we'd appreciate it. You can find that link to our Patreon page at our website with that ever-easy-to-remember website uh, URL of sexforsmartpeople.com. Thank you so much. We really, really appreciate it. Hey, SFSB. That's us. <laughs> Mostly straight lady, late 20s, NYC. Love it. I keep dating guys that are kind and communicative, but at the end of the day, it feels like it's still more about their orgasm than a real connection between us. I could stop it if I really needed to stop it. It's not that I feel taken advantage of. I just sometimes feel ambivalent in the moment as they pound away. I like that you guys talk about pleasure-oriented rather than orgasm-focused sex. That makes so much sense to me. How can I get these guys to slow down and listen to me and my body more? How can I be more pleasure-oriented in practice, not just in theory? Yeah, that's kind of a little bit of of what I was kind of like, you know, this kind of talking about a little bit earlier. But, you know, I also just in answer to her question, I would say by being more um, less passive about it, like, um, you know, when the way that she's explaining or talking about it in it, you know, uh, letting them pound away and and kind of dealing with things in a way because I've been there. I've been in that place where, you you know, you want connection. So you kind of just like deal with what's at hand. Um, but there's a more powerful, uh, approach and that is, um, and, and that is like, not just waiting for chance to happen that you meet this guy. And then all of a sudden you're going along with the whims of what's going on, you know, with this guy, but that when you, you can curate your sexual experiences by saying, okay, on Friday or today, later this evening, I want to have sex with, you know, I want, I want to have an experience. And then you fish for that meaning like, so I, I'll say from yeah, I'll say like there have been times in my life where you know uh, I've I'll go to you know your places where you find your hookups or whatnot, and instead of looking to looking for someone or responding to something, I put out what I want and I say I'm looking for a man. I'm not looking for a wham bam. I'm not a, a one hour kind of girl, you know, I'm looking for a guy that's going to spend a couple hours with me and, you know, just kind of uh, maybe go have something to eat or go play tennis. It might involve sex. It might not. 
but this this allows me to get into my sort of demisexual um, mode where I'm a, I, I what I really want is to build a connection with someone first before having sex. So I think that one approach is thinking, oh, these guys are all like this. And, you know, as they're coming in, how do I just stop them and slow them down versus me calling for a certain guy to come in? And then he already knows, you know, where, what page I'm on and that if he wants to stay in this room, that he needs to get with the program. <laughs> mm. I feel like... Dave, do you want to go or should I launch into my diatribe? <laughs> I feel like you're going to have a great diatribe. I feel like this is something that you've thought about a lot and worked on, like worked with people. Uh, I feel like you're going to have... I say go for it. I, I, I yield sure. the floor. First of all, Angelica, I like... 100% like absolutely yes how how can this person who wrote in examine ways to get out in front of 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 what she's really looking for and I wanted to salute even like asking this question writing in this question just an awareness that you it sounds like you just don't feel totally empowered in absolutely. sexual experiences and so even like noticing that mm-hmm. then you're in such a great position to breathe into what angelica said or anything else that will, will help you move in the direction that you want to move but my diatribe lands in like i feel viscerally sad by this question um first and foremost, i want to address it on two levels one i like I want to be careful to not project drama onto this person's situation because she's using words like ambivalent and how can I learn and move in this direction. So it sounds like this listener is doing just fine and like looking to learn. But I just, what makes me feel really sad is how fucking prevalent feeling sexually disempowered is. Absolutely. And I think often, especially for those who... uh, I was going to say are socialized as women, but I, that that's going to be, that's broader. That's too mm-hmm. general. That's not, that's not exactly true. Um, but I think I just, I just, with, with, with every cell of my body wants no one to ever feel ambivalent as someone pounds away. Like just, just no, just no, 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 no. And, and so I feel like I have to express that I have all the feelings about this before moving on to more practical addressing of it. But then I want to honor. Aren't so many wives like that? I think so. I mean, and maybe, maybe so many husbands too. (laughs) But but yeah, I just, I just want to honor that, that like this person who wrote in, it sounds like you're doing great. Awesome. But just like, I feel rage at the world that would ever like make anyone feel sexually disempowered. So, but wanting to honor how you wrote in, um, how can, uh, how can I be more pleasure oriented in practice? Not just in theory. Um, I think what Angelica said is wonderful. Um, who are you calling in? It's a great thing to examine. Masturbation is great, but two like nerdy coaching tricks I have got to offer. And one is, um, it sounds like some, like feeling ambivalent as they pound away. Like, it sounds like it's like, you've already gotten pretty far. And then are like, oh, wait, this isn't working for me. And something that I think can be really useful is not just noticing when something isn't working for you, but noticing when something is. And so our friend Francisco Ramirez actually said this on episode 16 with us about an exercise to like to strengthen the muscle of learning what is and isn't working for you in life, not just in sex is, um, is, is can, then everything can work together that way. And so he has this fabulous suggestion of when you're walking down the street to just notice 
What is your whole body, whole soul saying yes to? Is it the way the sun feels on my face? Is it the 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 crisp, cool taste of this Slurpee? <laughs> I don't know why I went there, but is it um is it the way this this dog is running makes me really really happy? Um, but and and yes, even to, to like it's keep one. it's that one pretty much when it's in doubt dog. puppies yeah. <laughs> when it, yeah yes. um, but um and even to like keep a log of this sometimes I do with my coaching clients like make sure you take at least five times a day you just notice what is my body saying yes to right now. Now. And 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 then strengthening that muscle might be great for then strengthening in in sex. So then maybe you'd be before the moment of ambivalent, you'd be able to lean into what you're saying yes to. Again, not easy. This is all we're all on this journey. Oh my god! Um, but the second nerdy practical coaching tool. Um, also got from someone on this podcast, Charlie Glickman. I forget if it was eighteen or nineteen, but um, he suggested setting a time, this sounds so nerdy, but I actually think it's really hot. Um, and yes, I have done this, um, that, uh, (laughs) to sit across from your partner and you can set a timer if you want, like, and that you can only touch from the fingertips to the elbow and you take turns. And so when it's your turn, you just have to ask for, um, like your part, your partner can't do anything unless you explicitly ask for it. So that you're saying, you're saying like, please touch me in this way. Oh, and I think Charlie would say you can't even say please, but in my world, you can say please. But, um, <laughs> but you know, please touch me in exactly this way. And then practicing, like giving a subtle adjustment or then, oh, no, that's not working for me. Touch me in this way. So that's a way to, to practice communicating about what's really, really working for you and not working for you. And then you switch. And I think that kind of thing can be great, too. Um, And I just, I also want to be honest about how much of a journey this is for me too. Like, I wish that I could say I'm perfectly sexually empowered and have never felt ambivalent as someone pounds away. And I am humbled and kind of embarrassed to recognize and to admit, you know, in an ongoing way, like the ways in which I've let myself be sexually disempowered. Like I'm a fucking sex and relationship coach. I have this podcast. Like, shouldn't I be like the, the person who like is always asking for what I want perfectly and always noticing what works for me. And I just want to own that. Like, I sure I have all these perspectives and, and I, you know, think some of them are valuable and also that I am so on this journey too. When you did the thing with the with the with the fingertips to the elbow, did it feel weird and awkward at first, and then it got cool, or were you just like thrown? Like, it like most really awesome like it, things, like I would feel very awkward about it. Yeah, like like most awesome things, took some buying in, but what you you know what doesn't what doesn't feel awkward is watching the way dogs run. That's just great. Oh, yes to dogs. <laughs> I, my body says yes to dogs. <laughs> you know, I, I also, I, I, you know, I'm just as I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking, I think also just in a general sense of advice is to also recognize. I think that for many people, I don't know how, if it's even separable, but uh, a lot of times sex is about power. Mm. And and it, I don't know if that necessarily has to be in the connotations of a negativity around power. You know, I think it's also a conversation around power, you know, you feeling empowered and like we're just saying, or, you know, around your body. And so 
you know, just be mindful of the way, again, this playing field that we have, if you're, you're dealing with men, if, especially when you're dealing with men, like if you're dealing across the binary, you know, men and women, and then you're dealing not just with that single man, but all of what he's bringing to the table that tells him he can ask for or do or say um, and expect the things that he's expecting, um, you know, just being mindful of that so that you can flip that on your heads. It's, it's different from the women I meet who have been now reinforced in, you know, with by other women who are empowered sexually versus women who are just coming into this space. You know, we're coming into a space where women again, I talked to my mother or we're talking about certain things or when I looked at like older episodes of like Oprah and things like that, they're talking to audiences about women masturbating and it was like a controversial thing, you know, and it's, and teaching your daughters to masturbate in the sense where they then feel empowered of making themselves feel really good versus feeling like they need a man or need Mm. someone else to do that. And so that's why I mentioned sort of the masturbation thing, because You know, I feel like part of it is a communication thing. And the basics of communications are we teach people how to treat us and we teach people how to talk about us. And a lot of times that that lesson comes in the ways that we talk about ourselves Mm. in the mess, in the communications we have with ourselves in our own bodies. So I think some of that repairing or strengthening can happen in the conversation you have with your own body Mm. and and not just in the mirror, but in the bed. Just, yeah. Can't, couldn't agree with you more. Thank you for giving that shout out. Yeah. Yeah. That was like, it was my attempt at energetically matching with lasers the way that you said quickies. I I liked it. Bird bird lasers. lasers. Whale lasers, like with Sean. Um, Whale? Let's talk about that later. I have an idea. Screenplay. Um, Uh... I would like to give a shout out to um, remembering to take a long walk around the city you live in. I took a nine mile walk yesterday just to do it. And I live in Los Angeles, which is not a place where people walk. And I thought, you know what? Fuck it. I miss walking through my city and I did it. Mm. And it was really rewarding to get that experience, even if it was to see the ways in which the city is not constructed for pedestrians, but to have this moment of myself communing with the place that I live um, just mm. on foot. Um, and for a lot of people who don't live in Los Angeles, that's probably, um, uh, so obvious as to not even need stating, but I feel like, um, it, it, you know, even, even if you're in a pedestrian paradise, it can be easy to forget that a walk through a city is something mm. that can be super, um, uh, spiritually mm. rewarding. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so I recommend it if you haven't given it in a while. Mm. Go walk around where you live and, and just take a look. Mm. Yes. Loves. <laughs> yeah. Quickie? Quickie. Quickie. Okay. <laughs> Quickie. Uh, I want to give a shout out to, to her yeah. story. I know we've been talking about this, but Do you it know again. what? Do it. Yeah. You go to her story, her story show everything. Like, so if you go to herstoryshow.com 
or you go to youtube.com forward slash her story show or if you go to twitter and it's at her story show or instagram at her story show but I really want to give a shout out to that because not only am I, you know, one of the stars of this just amazing, you know, story, but, you know, as we're talking about sex here and just the normalization around things, like this is one of those stories where trans people are being mm-hmm. seen as humans um, and, and, and a part of the sort of cosmos of sexuality and sexual desire. We are a part of that and there's no need to like hide that. We need to embrace it. Uh, I think in the ways that Shonda Rhimes shows, you know, gay uh, men being sexual beings um, within her shows, I think we need to start seeing trans women and trans people, not just as these mythical unicorn creatures, but as sexual beings and as sexually viable choices for any man or woman that is that is open to that. Right. Okay, so now I want to do Cheers. two quickies because my other quickie that I'm adding in now is just to second what Angelica just said <laughs> and how much I love her story <laughs> and how refreshing. This is something that I said last time too, but I want to say it to Angelica too, just like, thank you for being a part of making it. It just feels like one of the few things, like I, because I, I do like Transparent as well, but I feel like Transparent is like made for the straight cis gays, whereas her story is just so refreshingly, like not necessarily for that gaze that doesn't mean that that it's not also for straight and cis people but i just i just i don't know that i've ever seen anything that that achieves that at quite the level that her story does and thank you for for being a part of it and everyone seriously yeah it's a blessing to be a part of such an everybody go watch it now um my other quickie is actually a shout out about something that I'm building. I think many of you know that um, my other life is as a composer and usually as a choral composer. And I'm so passionate about increasing collective confidence around singing and holding safe spaces for, for singing together. And I believe in singing together, like as a spiritual practice, yes. like the kind of listening that it necessitates. And I just so many yes. of my friends who are trans and gender nonconforming have spoken about feeling um that as part of their their journey to live fully as themselves that they feel like they've lost singing or lost a safe space for singing or that that's at least become really complicated and so june in june in new york city this is location specific for now but we're starting full moon a community choir for queer and trans people and allies and it's going to be free of gendered language around singing and a safe space to come together and heal and make beauty and there'll be three components to each gathering the first will be um like a dialogue workshops and peer coaching because everybody has such unique um, things that, that could help them feel more safe and free. And so we'll do a few exercises all together, but then kind of like break into pairs or groups, just like, who do I want to learn from or share my story with? Um, and then the second will be like, just of open community song share sing along we'll do movement songs and chants and rounds or you can like bring uh bring a, a, a song like to play and that we can all sing along with but then the third part totally optional you're anybody is welcome of any musical abilities to stick around for the rehearsal part and our first performance will be on june 25th um at the moon show which some of you may know the, in new york city the it's a queer wow. trans intersectional feminist anti-racist performance series and we're gonna we're gonna debut there with three songs um two of which i'm arranging i'm very excited about and um but the performance really like we're doing the arrangements to be like very there are layers that even if you have never sung before or like feel terrified of singing there are parts to every song that's like holding one note 
that like, it's totally fine. There are also parts to every song that's like a solo, if you may want to rock that. So it's just, we're, we're doing our best to learn about how to be just as deeply inclusive and welcoming as possible. And I'm sure we'll get it wrong sometimes, but I'd love for you to come help us learn and, um, and to add your voice and your story. And so if you want to learn more, um, email singwithfullmoon at gmail.com. And I would love to talk more with you about that. Well, that's amazing. And I'll share that information Beautiful. too within my networks because as a trans person, someone who is a musician, you know, I I, I, I have mm. music online too oh, that yay. you can hear on Ross.com or on my SoundCloud. I play piano, guitar, I sing, but it's, there was a moment where I lost uh. the music because I didn't know how to transition mm. my vocal ability. And it took a while for me. And you do need those safe spaces to kind of practice and try your voice mm. out and try different things without feeling like you're going to be laughed or put into mm-hmm. a certain box um, vocally. Um, so I, th- I think that's amazing. I would oh, be happy yeah, also to share do. that information and those with who folks aren't in, in my community. In New York City, yeah. I know there are trans choirs in oh, other absolutely. cities, but also we're made, we're building a canon. We're only singing songs that were written by trans and gender nonconforming folks. And so we're, we want to build this choral canon that other trans choirs can sing, but other choirs can sing. And just to, to amplify the voices of these composers as well. Um, so anyhow... Yeah, so they they just I just went to the debut performance of the Trans Chorus in Los Angeles um, a couple weeks ago, and it was beautiful. So yeah, good work. What is the one in Los Angeles called? I think it's they're called the Trans. It's called the Trans Chorus of LA. I think awesome. It's like it's almost like it's it's a part of the organization that is the Gay Men's Chorus of Los Angeles, or the so they've always had the Gay Men's Chorus of Los Angeles. And I think that organization kind of realized an opportunity for expansion and just like you say, creating these safe spaces and, and the benefit of that. So now they have the trans and it's like a trans non-binary choir. And, you know, I, they brought me mm. to tears with their last performance. Oh, yeah. So exciting. Congratulations. That's really, really Yay. cool. Yeah. Yay. And that's it for episode 29. Uh, thank you again so, so much to Angelica for joining us. And definitely go to MissRoss.com and learn more about her and her work. And as many of you know, we love, love, love hearing from you. We truly welcome hearing your ideas, your uh, your thoughts, your even your objections. We'd love to hear questions that you'd like to hear us address on future episodes. You can find all of our information on how to get in touch with us at our website, sexforsmartpeople.com. And there, too, you can find how to connect to all of the places on social media and how to subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, let's please remain in conversation with each other. And if you dig what we do and you're not already our patron, please also consider going to patreon.com slash sex for smart people and throwing us a buck or two per episode if you're in a position to. We so appreciate that. That helps us keep us afloat. And um, again, just can't say it enough. Thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in. And we hope to catch you next time on Sex for Smart People. You'd say my future gay husband is the sexiest? <laughs> yes, my future gay future husband. husband. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to piggyback off of that and say, like, man, what does it for me? Like, just gender complexity in general is the sexiest. Um... Uh, 
conversations that go way, way, way too late into the night and touch on absolutely everything are the sexiest. Yay! Angelica, thank you so, so much for joining us. 